Allow me, everyone. You may be seated. Sometimes I daydream about fictitious events or happenings as if they really happened. And one that's been living in my head, almost like a midrash, I'd like to share with you today. It's about a fictitious person who works at One Infinite Loop in Cupertino, California. Anyone know what's housed at One Infinite Loop in Cupertino, California? The headquarters of Apple. And this person is sitting there looking out her window and she's angry. She's mad. She's been working at Apple for about 20 plus years and she just came back from making a quick errand to Best Buy. And when she was at Best Buy, she saw all types of people buying Samsung phones and Nokia phones and buying Sony tablets and buying LG and Dell computers that were all portfolio. And she was indignant. She was upset. And the reason she was so upset and indignant is because she knew she was part of the team at Apple that actually designed and innovated one of the very first level of touchscreen smartphones that we now come to take for granted is the iPhone. She was part of the team and knew the team intimately well that created the iPad, which revolutionized the whole notion of tablet computing and the personal tablets that walk around with us. And she also knew all of the innovators that came up with the idea of the slim profile home computer that we now know as iMac. And now all of these other competitors have a similar brand, but being offered with the same technology and a lower price. She comes back to her office and she looks at the ticker of what the Apple stock is doing, which much of her remuneration comes from, and she sees the stock has never really rebounded in the past few years. And she's upset. She's mad. She wants to stop people at Best Buy and say to them, you know, that technology that you're using, it really came from Apple. And it's better for you to buy the Apple brand because that was the source of the technology. And it might cost a few shekels more, but it's worth it in the end. But she holds herself back. But she's mad. And she's frustrated. And she's bothered. And she comes back to her office and she looks out her window and she sees the address of where she works. One infinite loop. She sees that famous iconic symbol of an apple with a bite taken out of it. And she starts to think. And then all of a sudden, she's comforted. Comforted like a warm blanket on a cold day. And she takes out her sketch pad and she starts drawing and thinking. And what she realizes is that Apple really isn't measured for its product. But what Apple does better than all of those others is it innovates. It innovates for others in which they follow. Now allow me to be clear for a moment as I break off from my daydream. I'm not a broker. I never took a Series 7 exam. And I'm not encouraging any of you to buy Apple stock or Samsung stock. 
I'm using this fictitious midrash in my own head as a metaphor because I've been thinking a lot in a very similar paradigm about the Jewish world and in particular the conservative movement of which I'm a part of and a proud member of. But the conservative movement has been feeling some challenge lately. If we were a stock, we would be down right now and not reaching our prime. We would be in what others are calling a form of malaise. And I've been thinking very hard and very long and very critically about what's working and what's not working in our movement. And there have been some things that have been happening in the world that have made me think very similarly to this fictitious woman working at Apple. And I'd like to share them with you for a moment. Perhaps you saw in the news just a few weeks ago about a real person, a young man who's married and who's about to receive rabbinic ordination at Yeshiva University, the Orthodox branch of the Jewish world. The leadership of Yeshiva University decided less than a month before his expected ordination that they were going to take away his ordination. And here's why. They weren't going to allow him to march and be part of the process of becoming an Orthodox rabbi, even though he was literally at the finish line of his four or five years of study. The reason why is that this rabbi organized in his apartment one Friday night a new phenomenon in the Orthodox world called a partnership minyan. And the way the partnership minyan works is that there is separate seating between men and women. There's a mechitza that goes down the center aisle, but they use the elasticity of what our rabbinic codes tell us previously to explain where women can lead certain parts of the service. And this young man happened to be married to a woman who was ill. And she had made the request that she wanted to make a bracha, a blessing, on her own, with her own voice as part of a service, because she believed it would bring her healing. So this young man, who is anonymous, no one at least from the newspaper reports knows who he is. This young man created a partnership minyan, which means that women led parts of the service and men led parts of the service, the parts that were acceptable for each to lead, and they were separated by a mechitza, a separation between men and women. And indeed, his wife was able to say the blessing that she wanted to say. Upon hearing this, the leadership at YU decided that they would not grant ordination to this man because they felt that he was taking the law into his own hands and wasn't, as I'm quoting from the article, referring to respectable and acceptable leaders of Jewish law, Poskin. In a last-minute decision, the leadership of Yeshiva University, with much pressure from its alumni, decided to grant ordination to this young man. Now, I have to tell you that when I read this case, I sat there and I thought, just like this young woman who doesn't even exist working at Apple. Because in the Orthodox world, where egalitarianism is a brand new phenomenon, I sat and I thought to myself, all of the permissibilities, all of the runway, all of the portals that have been open in the Orthodox world for things like partnership minyanim 
and things like Shira Hadasha, which is an incredible phenomenon that is still strong today in the city of Jerusalem, that is exactly on the model of a partnership minyan, that yields close to 350 to 400 people every Friday night and every Saturday morning, where women read from the Torah on their side of the Mechitza, and men read as well, and they lead in Kabbalat Shabbat and others. And I see people from our synagogue who go and visit Shira Hadasha, nodding vigorously with me, as being part of an emotional egalitarian service within the boundaries of orthodoxy. What I always marvel at when I see this and when I read this article was that 30 years ago this year, 30 years ago, the conservative movement allowed for the ordination of women. Rabbi Amy Eilberg was the first woman ordained and this year the Jewish Theological Seminary and all the conservative movement is celebrating her on this 30th anniversary. But what I marvel at is that the very codes, the very law, the very elasticity that we used 33 years ago in exploring this as a movement is the exact same codes, laws, and permissibility that the students at YU and other rabbis are using in the Orthodox world to welcome egalitarianism into the world, to welcome partnership minyanim in the Orthodox world. Now let me be very clear. I'm a conservative rabbi. Most of my time is worried spending about the conservative rabbinate. There are times I get frustrated with reform and orthodox colleagues not combining together when we can speak in unity when we should. But what the orthodox world decides to do is up to the orthodox world. I'm not a card-carrying member of the orthodox world. But what I marvel at is that these changes have happened based on the same laws that we have done as a movement but we haven't celebrated it. We haven't championed that. We haven't marketed it. It's as if we're looking at Samsung's sales and stock and we're getting jealous as opposed to realizing that what they're doing and their success was because of our creativity, our innovation, and our ability to realize that our Jewish law is indeed dynamic. And if you look at these moments, in our tradition, you see it's not limited to just the idea of a partnership minyan. There are a host of activities happening in Israel and in the diaspora that celebrate this level of diversity. Whether it's the namal minyan happening in Tel Aviv during the spring and summer months, where people of all backgrounds come together and they have a musical Shabbat, or a rakevet minyan that happens in downtown Jerusalem for people who are unaffiliated to engage them and be part of our service, Shira Chadasha, or even what Rabbi Avi Weiss is building at Chovevei Torah. He was honored just this past week with over 700 people coming to attend and celebrate all of this blending together. And what is Avi, Avi Weiss so remembered for? First, his advocacy, of which he was always the first to stand up and fight against those who were fighting the Jewish people as a whole. And the second, which he has taken a lot of hits and his armor is definitely wearing thin, is Avi Weiss chose as a rabbi that he could ordain a rabbah, someone who is a woman who would determine Jewish law. And he did. And he has created, as a result of that decision, an entire yeshiva for women who want to be rabbis in the Orthodox world called Maharat. And this is a new phenomenon happening. And the very same laws, the very same elasticity, the very same rules that allowed that to happen are the very same things that our movement looked at 30 years before. 
I share this with you because I think it's an opportunity for all of us to realize that in our movement and our world, it's time for us not to lament what's not working, but to celebrate what it is we do best, and that is innovate. What we do best is we marry our social imperatives with Jewish law without compromising one or the other. And when we can sit back and see those things, it gives us a moment to pause and realize how proud we should be and what we as a movement have given birth to. For example, who here either attended or sent their child to a Jewish camp? Raise your hands high and proud. I bet most of you don't know that the majority of you had your hands up, that the Jewish camping movement was given birth to by the conservative movement. Camp Ramah in 1947 in Wisconsin created a camping environment in which we said we're going to celebrate the ideals of Hebrew, of Jewish life and Jewish culture, and camping. And Camp Ramah has been one of the incredible and many successes of what Jewish camping has become in the Jewish world. Celebrated in all streams, reform, conservative, and orthodox, and even non-denominational. And so many people come to me regularly with kindergartners, first and second graders, and say, Rabbi, I'm looking for a Jewish camp for my kid. Which one do you recommend? And the beautiful part is, I have hundreds of options in which to give them. Given birth to, created and innovated by the conservative movement. In the 60s, when kids wanted to have a Jewish education, there was one option available to them, the yeshiva. And the yeshiva offered a fine education, blending together our modern secular studies as well as Jewish law, Talmud and Mishnah and Bible and so on. But as modernity and religion continued to blend and the conservative movement continued to be strong, in 1965 we gave birth to the Solomon Schechter Day School movement. And today, that movement gave birth to even a bigger movement today which is the community school with overseeing organizations like Ravsak. And when I see the growth of community schools which allow for conservative, reform, orthodox, unaffiliated people to come and subscribe in kindergarten, fifth grade, or 11th grade, with multiple minyanim happening, I realize that this idea just didn't pop up out of the ground. This grew organically from the very notion of what it means to have these ideas coming from the Solomon Schechter movement, which was given birth to, indeed, by the conservative movement. I want to share a personal story with you that happened about 10, maybe 11 years ago. I had yurtzeit from my brother Gabriel, and I needed to go to shul to say Kaddish. And we lived in Manhattan, and I looked for the nearest shul that I can get in of and out of as quickly as possible. The closest conservative synagogue had a very, very, very long and painful service, over three and a half hours, and there was no way I was suffering on my weekend through three and a half hours. So I said, I'm going to go to the Orthodox synagogue that will daven faster and get me out of here. And I did. I turned the corner and walked into a shul that I'd gone to pretty regularly when I could. Lovely people, warm, they had multiple minyanim happening. And as I was walking in, there was a rabbi, a young rabbi, recently ordained, standing at the door, and he said, I had total anonymity there. They did not know who I was or any of my background. They said, can we borrow you? We need a 10th person for a minyan. I said, absolutely. And I went downstairs to a minyan, and it was different than all the other minyanim I've ever been to in this Orthodox shul. The rabbi did an abbreviated 
Pesuke de Zimra prayer. The Amidah was what was done called a Hecha Kedusha, which means we do the beginning of the Amidah with the Kedusha and the rest is done silently. And throughout every Aliyah, which was truncated when they read the Torah, there was explanation given. And it was clear there were a lot of people in the service, which weren't oh too many, maybe 15, 20 as a whole, separately seated between men and women who were not native to the synagogue and were not native to the service that was happening around them. The rabbi gave a traditional sermon, not one that mentioned Mishnah or Talmud or any commentator, but something happening in society. And then an abbreviated Musaf, and they all adjourned to Kiddush. I was surprised and kind of astounded because I had just taken place, just taken part of, a service that was, for all intents and purposes, separately seated, but a conservative service. And I asked the rabbi afterwards, I said, I'm just curious, it was great davening with you, I really enjoyed your Devar Torah, and thank you for including me. Can you tell me about this minion? He said, it's a minion called Upreach, not Outreach, but Upreach. And it's for unaffiliated Jews in the neighborhood that we want to engage them in our shul and the programs we offer, and we realize we need to make a denominator that's more accessible to them. So we created a service that we think they would enjoy. To which I said, I'm a conservative rabbi, and I have to tell you, this reminded me very much of a conservative service. And he smiled and he said, our service was intentionally built off of the conservative service because we think that that is the most engaging one that incorporates Hebrew and learning and tradition and we think that's the greatest way in which to reach people. Now obviously this story is just but one story. It's not a marker. But it reminds us of what I have to be reminded of and perhaps you have to be reminded of also is that when we can walk around and look at reports and studies and say, all that has failed in our movement, all that we are hurting from, all of the decline in our numbers, all of the drop in our stock, if you will, perhaps we could pause for a moment and say, you know what? Maybe what we do is not make our stock rise all the time, but maybe what we do better than most is we innovate. We give birth to things that others can grab onto and celebrate from a Jewish perspective and from a modern perspective and from the blending of the two. And we can stick out our chests and we can celebrate that fact as opposed to lamenting it. So in my humble estimation, I think it's time for us to do the same thing now, to celebrate what we're doing well, to celebrate the fact that not only all of these things that are so fantastic in the Jewish world that we almost take for granted were given birth to from the conservative movement, but also so many of the amazing leaders who are leading these institutions and organizations were trained by the conservative movement. Whether it's heads of UJA, whether it's the greatest phenomenon of Mechon Hadar, whether it's the cover of this week's Jewish standard, which was happening in Ikar, whether it's the lab shul or any other things that you might have read about in the New York Times, or the top leading Hillel rabbis in the country, the common denominator they all share, they were all trained at the Jewish Theological Seminary and some even at the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies, given birth to from the conservative movement. It's a disproportionate amount of people who have come into that level of leadership and making a difference from this place. And it's time we stick out our chests and celebrate that. So on this Shabbat, I suggest we pivot. We pivot instead of lamenting what's not working and lamenting the price of our stock as a movement. We celebrate our innovation and we get out our sketch pads and we start to innovate again. 
And the way we address the malaise in our movement is by creating and giving birth to new ideas and new thoughts and new portals that marry together Jewish law and the society in which we live in. In my humble estimation, it includes a few different things. It includes the notion of inclusivity as a whole, for making our synagogues a place for the other and championing those, to making sure that the conservative movement is standing at the tallest mountain, waving the flag the highest for people who are non-typical learners and telling them in our synagogues, in our religious schools, and in our day schools that the Torah is not prohibited to them but open to them. And we are going to create those portals in education and in our synagogue environments so that they can come and learn and be a part of it. And we're going to be the portal and the entry and the address for the non-traditional family that is growing by leaps and bounds in all different types of composite throughout the world and letting them know this is a place you can come and this is a place you can be. We're going to wave that flag highest and with the most pride that tells everyone that being part of our movement says we celebrate and have an unconditional love for the state of Israel. And that love can never, ever be questioned. But with that love, sometimes we can ask tough and critical questions, like the tough and critical questions we ask of those that we love, but without ever putting into question that love in the first place. When we do those things, we do exactly what the Parsha tells us to do. When the Parsha tells us in Tazriah and next week in Mitzorah that people are afflicted and people are sick and people have sores, the Kohen would come twice and look. The Midrash explains they would look first at the Tsar, at the actual affliction, and second, at the person who was suffering. It's time for us to look again in our movement. It's time for us to see what it is that we do best and to take out our sketch pads and dream up that next big thing that 10 years and 20 years and 30 years and 50 years from now, other movements and other organizations and other institutions will be following from the leadership we create and the activities and programs that we give birth to. It's time to innovate again. And that is a reason of which we should all be proud and not lament. And I'm convinced if we share that pride and we stand a little taller and we sing a little louder and we celebrate the challenge that other institutions are going through. Not take pity in them and not get upset with them, but celebrate them the same way we went through these processes. Then we are given the gift of realizing the gift that we gave to the world. And I believe, while not a broker, that will make our stock soar.